Well, Dan, uh, we have a lot of movies to talk about this week. Yeah. I got six titles on my on the list here of the title of the episode. I don't know if that matches up with what you've got, but yeah, there was one that I missed that I didn't get the the other streep I didn't watch. Oh, let them all talk. Yeah, I didn't see that one. All right, but maybe I will see it. Uh, I think it's worth it. Maybe I'll yeah, I'll give it a quick like little yeah. pitch for you. Um, I think we the oldest stuff we've got is Run and Happiest Season probably. Yeah, I did watch those. Yeah, dash those off. Great. Um, want me to talk about Run? Yeah. Okay, Run is... Uh, I've been using Letterboxd instead of IMDb, and then I always get stymied because when I click on a movie, it doesn't go right to the cast and stuff, so right. I have to click around. So, uh, yes. Run is a 2020 thriller horror film... Directed by uh, Anish Chaganti, and he was the director of, I believe he was the, the director. It's, at least it's the same filmmaking team as Searching, which was a interesting genre movie a couple years ago, right? That mm-hmm. um, had John Cho and had oh, a very right. interesting premise mm-hmm. of, of being told through screens and the story of, of a missing girl told through social media apps and screens and searches and things like that, that I thought was mostly very successful. I liked that movie a lot. Um, this is another concept genre movie. It stars Sarah Paulson as a, uh, lost the cast list as a kind of, uh, very troubled woman and mother. And Kira Allen plays her daughter who is, uh, in a wheelchair, suffers from a number of maladies and is coming of age to choose a, a college and leave home. And we start to realize that, um, that's going to be difficult for her to do. So this is uh, very much a, a Munchausen by proxy horror scenario that probably is based on that real life story. That's been kind of had a, had a couple of right. documentaries and movies about it. It was a gypsy rose and uh, oh, you got it. name, but you're, you're ahead name. of my primary. Oh, critique. okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well then I can't wait to hear it. But uh, so anyway, this is, yeah, it's uh, basically a, a very tight uh, short Mostly very effective thriller uh, where this girl, using her intelligence and her wits uh, and her uh, limited resources, she can barely use a telephone or the internet, to piece together uh, some horrifying realities about who she is and who her mother is and the nature of her uh, maladies and um, yeah, it's a Blumhouse movie. It's it's uh, re- it's total genre fun i guess is what it's intended to be meaning that i think if you think about this movie too much there's a lot of holes in it uh it doesn't you know it doesn't waste a lot of time on setup which i appreciate but um it's mostly the the pleasures it has are just in the viewing i think it's excellent that uh kira allen is a uh a differently abled actress who really does know what it's like to live in a wheelchair and it gives a lot of pathos and reality to some very um, intense scenes that she has. I didn't love this movie, but I liked it. I thought it was mostly successful. I have some issues about the end, but Dan, I'd love to hear uh, your reactions to run. Well, I guess my reactions are mostly like yours. I found it to be a very frustrating thing. I, I hate when people are completely oppressed at every turn, like this young woman is. And 
I didn't understand why the story was being told after all the notoriety of the news story after the act, you know, with Patricia Arquette that really, you know, that was a full series, 10 episodes or so that went into a lot of detail about this mother daughter relationship and it's unlocking the mysteries of what this mother has been able to accomplish. It's really, I, I found that, series too hard to watch it was it was mm-hmm. so grim and grisly i did not like it so i just felt like this was that story again light in 90 minutes and i do like sarah paulson for some reason i just keep on seeing like Kristen wig in her you know <laughs> you can kind of imagine Kristen wig playing this part on, <laughs> on an snl sketch and and i'm just like why is this why does this exist because it's not better than other stuff that came before it it's not original and we just have to endure it right not like it's poorly made not like it's poorly done it did not need to be in my opinion Mm -hmm. that's my that's my only thoughts it is very heavy subject matter and you know it's a horror movie or it's a thriller anyway so it's supposed to be intense but yeah it's a very it's a very sad type of intensity you know what i mean it's not like someone an adult trying to escape another adult who's trying to hurt them and it's intense but it's the aspect of the munchausen syndrome and all that is very upsetting and and it's a poppy movie it's not a serious movie Mm -hmm. so that's a weird juxtaposition like it is serious in what happens in the movie i'm just saying it's it's obviously supposed to be popcorn right fun but it's out of that very it is weird subject matter i guess you're right like you just think of the horrors that this young person has experienced and you think of all the wasted years. Right. And in real life, this person goes to, goes to trial and to prison for killing her mom after all of the horrors and atrocities that she's, that has happened to her. And there's just no escape. It's, it's, it's just so bad. And since it happened to a person, then that's, you know, something to consider and feel sad about because humanity should never stoop so low, but why do we have to enjoy it in a popcorn thriller? Yeah. Also to me, there's a little bit of, um, I don't know if it's cracks in the story, but just the fact that this is an exceedingly bright and intelligent young woman. I'm talking Mm -hmm. about the movie logic. Now I'm leaving the real life story aside and how she's just starting to piece together these shocking realities uh it's kind of strange you know what i mean like she doesn't live in a fog like she's a very smart person and she can't really use the internet or talk to people like it's very you know like you you buy into the reality that's why i say it's just it's a movie that wisely doesn't go into too much background because it's just supposed to happen right and then i guess the ending also i didn't find the ending to be satisfying or Mm -hmm. like dark and oh she got hurt like i didn't understand the revenge aspect of the i wanted to see the young girl character liberated and self-fulfilled and healthy and i just wanted the mother character out of the picture spoiler alert there's this kind of tag at the end where she's now torturing she's now keeping her mother alive and stringing her along and that seems cruel in a way that i don't think that character would be Right. Why would she do that at the end? What yeah. What is that motivation? I don't get it. She's it's been the machinations a- of a movie, not of of 
a person. She's been imprisoned. You know, you can choose to have something to do with her or not based on your feelings, but like, stop it. Yeah. 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 So yeah, it sucks. I didn't like it. Don't watch it. Right. Agreed. Okay. Uh, Yeah, no, there it is. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's darker than it. I think it even intends to be because of the real world resonance of the of the material. Let's yeah. say that it it works as a as a as an intent. I don't say fun, but as an intense watching experience. But then it does leave you with a sour taste. Right. Uh, do you feel up to the task of walking us through happiest season, Dan? Yeah, I'd be pleased to do exactly that. So, happiest season is a 2020 American romantic comedy. Directed by Clea Duvall from a screenplay written by Duvall and Mary Holland. And so what we've got here is a young lesbian couple and the one is taking the other to meet the parents. They are played by um, Mackenzie Davis and Kristen Stewart. And on the drive to meet the parents, we discover that Mackenzie Davis's character Harper is not has not been exactly honest and is not out to her parents and her parents have no awareness that this woman Abby played by Kristen Stewart is her girlfriend and so Abby just decides to go with it I don't know so they show up at the parents house played by Victor Garber and Mary Steenburgen and Garber is an aspiring politician and everything just needs to be perfect in his family for this upcoming election so uh-oh that nothing disruptive can happen. Meanwhile, Alison Bree shows up with her family as, I mean, how would you describe her? She's just a high anxiety misanthrope. I don't know. Yeah. And um, the other sister, Mary Holland is Jane, who's kind of the quirky, um, different sort of a family member. And they meet Aubrey Plaza, who as Riley, who we discover was once involved with Harper years ago to on a similar trajectory that Abby appears to be heading with Harper and uh, Dan Levy doing the movie a solid by showing up as a gay bestie and always, always, always funny. And so everyone's just trying to hide who they are. And of course, everything comes out in the end and there's their tears and, and misdirects and you know, it's going to be a happy ending because it's Christmas uh, what what did you think of Happiest Season? You know, I um, I had a good time with it. I thought it was fun. I don't know what to say about my relationship with this kind of movie. I was going to say I'm not really a holiday movie rom-com kind of person. And then I realized, well, I do like holiday movies a lot. And I guess I'm just not, I'm not a Hallmark movie kind of guy. And this isn't really that. It's a little elevated from that. But I guess I felt like I, I wasn't, I thought it was going to be fun and funny and it is, but it's also light and superficial in a way that in the end didn't leave me with a whole lot. I didn't didn't take a whole lot away from it. People don't really act like human beings in the movie. The cast is great, but um, you know, for example, the, the father's, the family's politics it's stated outright, I think, that he's a right wing. They don't use the word Republican, but they're clearly, you know, family values, traditional values, uh, and they they run in those circles. But that the way it's portrayed doesn't ring true with anything that's happening in the world right now. It doesn't. Um, 
I don't know. They they didn't read as those kind of people, except that they needed to. And those issues didn't end up really being the point anyway, which is fine. I didn't really want to see that movie either. So I, a lot of happy, fun moments. I like the cast. I like the leads. I really like the friends. I like Aubrey and, and Dan Levy. They're great. Mm-hmm. Mary Holland is fantastic. I'm already familiar with her from a lot of uh, improv stuff and podcasts that I enjoy. So I was happy to see her work and her weirdness on display. I, yeah, I guess it was a good time and I just, I was glad to not think about it too hard. Yeah, it was just fine for what it was. I shouldn't get too down on it. I feel like the central premise is so absurd that I couldn't even suspend my disbelief because the whole idea that you're going to be bringing this person just like as your friend or something in hopes of later introducing them as your partner in life, that's preposterous. And that the other, that Kristen Stewart would put up with it. Um, However they characterize the dad's politics, I feel like the parents are so warm and gracious in their actions with their children. And yet their children are so afraid to share any truth with them that there's something else going on that the movie isn't being honest about because Mm -hmm. people don't make, don't do life altering hiding from their parents unless there would be very serious emotional consequences to pay for being truthful. And here there weren't any consequences to pay. It was just like, Oh, our own children don't want to be honest with us. Hmm. All right. Let's be really nice now. Yeah. What? Yeah. And to your point about the weirdness of the of the family, the way that they get out of the whole central, you know, uh, intrigue of the story is by bringing in the Alison Brie character and her. She has her own secrets. Mm-hmm. And so it just kind of, yeah, it, it, it's supposed to be this kind of play playing field leveling uh, revelation at the end. But it really just exposes darkness in the family yeah, in right. a way that doesn't get dealt with. Also, Mackenzie Davis's character. Uh, sorry, I don't remember what she's not Harper. She's the other one. No, she's Harper. Oh, she is Harper. She, uh, I don't know. She's so cruel. Right. Uh, and they, that kind of, I mean, they do deal with it. They're, they're, you know, they wait 15 minutes before they get back together. Right. <laughs> but like, the, there's a lot of stuff that's just not dealt with and you, you know, you wouldn't deal with it in a movie this silly, but yeah, all those issues of, why would the family behave this way? Why the secrets? Why the all everything? Why the it should have been uh, more calamitous, <laughs> but right. I don't know. Yeah, it's it is what it is. It's a romp. Sure is. I don't have anything more to say about it. All right. Uh, did you watch Black Bear? Yes, just last night. Oh, all right. So Black Bear is a twenty twenty film directed by Lawrence Michael Levine and I think written by him and perhaps a colleague uh, starring Aubrey Plaza, Christopher Abbott and Sarah Gaddon uh, among others. And this is a very mind bending movie that starts off as a simple story about a filmmaker getting away into the woods um, where I think it, it, it seems to be a cabin inhabited by other city dwellers who have uh, left their life in, I believe, Brooklyn. And uh, they kind of run an Airbnb for artistic type people. There are some strange, uh, they are a married, they're not a married couple. I guess they're a partnership. And uh, the character 
Um, so I don't have a good cast list in front of me. I got Blair played by Sarah Gaddon is with child. And uh, there are some weird relationship dynamics between this partnered couple and the newcomer played by Aubrey Plaza. Her character's name is uh, Allison. And uh, it all culminates in some uncomfortable arguments and a really bad um, couple of uh, late night uh, encounters. And then the movie resets and we are essentially in the same location with the same actors, but uh the story and circumstances have been remixed and we're watching a different story about uh, a film that is being made in that location. I won't say much more than that. It's kind of a movie that's best to be discovered in its uh, unfolding, but I, Dan, I don't have a lot of analysis on this because I have no idea what was going on. I really enjoyed watching it. I felt like it was personal and must mean a lot to its filmmaker. And I really enjoyed Aubrey Plaza's work. I liked the other actors too. Uh, I enjoyed thinking about what it means. Uh, Black Bear, if you watch the movie, there's several connotations that this title could have. But I feel like it's a little bit above, either it's above my my grade and I just can't figure it out or I'm not meant to. I don't know. But uh, I I did see a review that compared this to Mulholland Drive. The Roger Ebert review compared it to many things, including Mulholland Drive. And... uh, I guess in that sense that it's an artistic exercise that is what it is and you're invited to come along for the ride, but it doesn't give you much else to work with. I don't know, Dan, uh, I don't think I've done a great job explaining it, but what did you think of Black Bear? Yeah, I think you've done a fine job explaining it. I similarly enjoyed it. I liked Avi Plaza and I, you know, I was interested throughout. I wasn't intent in my watching, but I was I was interested. And the first half I almost wish didn't have to be there because I thought it was kind of insufferable where she's supposed to be on a retreat for like inspiration or relaxation she just ends up getting enmeshed in the life of this couple who are passive aggressive and terrible together and I'm thinking how is this like a nice retreat that you're at this horrible dinner well, the two of them berate one another. and But then she gets in on the action and she makes it worse. So I'm like, okay, I'm watching this movie. And then, like you say, it resets. And it's the same story, really, but who's who in the story has shifted and the circumstances have shifted. And the second half I found to be more interesting, at least, because it introduced you know more side characters. There was more going on. It was a little more amusing. Um, what it meant in the end is a mystery to me. What the title means is a mystery to me, but yeah, it sure exists. And I think I would also compare it. I mean, Mulholland Drive is far superior, but I would compare it to Mulholland Drive in that um, people take on different pieces of other characters, personalities that uh, I really think there is no perfect center to, to piece everything together that you're seeing. You're, you're more just taking a ride with it. And and that's like Mulholland Drive. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's 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 it. I mean, if you like mind-bending movies that are unique visions, and it's a small movie, it's not like a, out to blow your mind with effects and techniques. It is a it's a very um you know, it's a crew in one location uh 
making again what I feel like must be a very personal movie to the guy who wrote it. And that was the interesting thing too, because throughout, I was sure that I was watching something that was written and directed by a woman, hmm. because it seemed to me, I mean, when it's centered on these two women and on a man who is really manipulating them to his own purposes in both halves, right? The woman who is who is his partner in each of the halves, I feel like he is in a different way manipulating into getting the response out of her that he desires. And they had that conversation about, you know, were women any worse off back in the dark ages? You know, oh, you just want women to be slaves. Oh yeah, actually I do. You know, <laughs> that really that, you know, in the second half that this actress is in a way a slave to the director in that he is putting her through this emotional turmoil to get a performance out of her. Um, is that the same as what the guy is doing to his wife in the first half? You know, right. and, and so it kind of, if that were to come from a woman, I could see this as being like a feminist critique mm-hmm. of, of male dominated culture, but coming from a man, what in the world could it mean? Right. <laughs> well, the, he's a sociopath. The director, uh, Levine, I think is his name. He has a frequent collaborator named Sophia Takal, who is a producer on this movie and to whom this movie's dedicated. Okay. Uh, I don't, so I don't know what that means. I don't know, you know, what's going on with those collaborations and relationships, but uh, it might be something again really personal to the, to those people. Or and I believe Sophia Takal is also in the movie, if I'm not mistaken. I'm trying to figure out who she. No, maybe she's not. Never mind. But uh, yeah, no, it's all a mystery to me, and I'd love to, I'd love to hear somebody talk about it. Anyway, okay. Well, now we're on to our two stage adaptations. Would you like me to just give you a a twenty second pitch on "Let Them All Talk"? Sure. Uh, this is Steven Soderbergh, post 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 retirement, making another one. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I'll just say that I think it's, it's worth a look. It's a very understated movie. This is not like Logan Lucky or Ocean's Eleven, uh, Soderbergh. This is like kind of slice of life Soderbergh. And I like when he's in this mode, uh, and Meryl Streep, um, is good. And the move, what I like though, is that the movie focuses just as much on Candace Bergen and Diane Weist and Lucas Hedges, who are characters who are taking this transatlantic voyage. She's a, a writer who's getting an award in England and she won't fly. So they they go on a cruise on the Queen Mary 2. Um, so it's a cruise movie in the age of COVID. It was filmed in 2019. And uh, it, not going to like, promise amazing things, but I found it to be worth the time to, to watch it. Well, I'll probably watch it this week. All right. So then we've got The Prom and Ma Rainey's. Let me, talk, talk let me talk about The Prom. Okay. <laughs> it's 2020 American musical comedy film directed by Ryan Murphy, adapted to the screen by Chad and Bob Martin from their and Matthew Sklar's 2018 Broadway musical of the same name. All right. So I had an awareness of the stage musical The Prom and kind of what it was about, but I did not know it. And so I went into this pretty cold what we've got is a young girl who's being prevented from going to her prom because she wants to take 
another young woman with her and these Broadway stars who are whose stars are falling devise a plan to get publicity for themselves. They're going to travel to Indiana and they are going to help this girl be able to go to her prom and hopefully jumpstart their careers. So we've got Meryl Streep and James Corden, Nicole Kidman and Andrew Rannells as these actors. And um, they're off to Indiana and hilarious hijinks ensue and they kind of learn how to become better people and not just so self-serving. And I ended up just really going for the prom. I, I really enjoyed it. There's there's plenty of uh, nitpicking that I could do and I will do in a second. But um, it's probably the movie that I've enjoyed most this year. Mm. <laughs> so it'll go to go to the top. I mean, I, that that I was thinking about. Like, I hope that whatever wins Best Picture has not been seen by me yet, because right. I, I don't have an right. easy answer for that one. Um, what what did you think of the prom? Uh, yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. I was not aware of it, so it was totally uh totally cold for me going into it. Um, and I have lots of nitpicks and eh, equivocations, but overall it's extremely entertaining. I love the cast. I love the, um, the feel of it. I actually, the one thing that the next two movies that we're going to talk about, including this one have in common is that I feel like they both are better suited to the stage than to the small screen, at least, um, I think more so with Ma Rainey, I felt like, uh, not to get ahead of ourselves, but that was, uh, just made to be a stage play. I liked the, 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 the filmmaking of the prom. I liked the glitz and the color and, uh, the humor. I felt like it was too much. <laughs> I felt a little overstimulated by it. It had too much going on. It was very long. Um, but it's indulgence felt like part of the whole experience though. So, um, yeah, I loved the, um, what's her name? The young lady who, this is her first major role, right? Is that, uh, yeah, who played Joanna Anna? Pellman. Joe Ellen Pellman. Yeah. Joe Ellen Pellman. Yeah. She was great. Uh, very magnetic. Yeah, and very bright. winning. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I guess I, I, you and I were t- t- uh, messaging a little bit while, as I was watching it, um, first half at least. And I liked it from the start that it was very kind of satirical and that it had this angle on the Broadway people as these kind of insufferable a-holes that were going to come in and, and, you know, uh, take over everything and ruin everything. And I felt like the movie kind of shifted in its perspective on those characters and that they became just assumed that you, that you loved them, even though it presented them as kind of satirical. I get it. I get, I get what's going on. I just, I liked at first the way it, it, I felt like it wasn't what I was expecting it to be. And then it kind of evolved over time into just what I expected it to be. Yeah. Uh, I, would, I like, go ahead. sorry, go ahead. I would have encouraged it to uh, be two hours and see mm-hmm. what even just cutting what they had down by, you know, just that bit might've been. Cause I yeah. did, I do agree. It was over long. Uh, I like the music. I didn't love all the music. I didn't love all the lyrics. I thought it was fine, but I thought it was fun. I haven't seen a, a new musical that wasn't like a, you know, Hamilton or something in a while. So I'm not like, you don't often get to see an original musical that's not animated. If you're me, if you're not mm-hmm. keeping up with, uh, you know, what's going on on uh, the white way. So I enjoyed it from that aspect, I guess. Um, yeah. 
I like Keegan Michael Key. I didn't think that he and uh, Meryl Streep would be a screen couple in no. anytime soon. I had a, I had some issues with the ages too, where I think that Andrew Rannells is too young, James Corden's too young. Um, mm. Like, why wouldn't they? I mean, maybe they did ask, but you know, could have gotten Nathan Lane in there, or Billy Porter, or Titus Burgess, or something. Right. Um, I don't mind that. James Corden is a straight man playing this role that a lot of people have complained about. I, I don't even think he's bad. He doesn't make me cringe. If he, if he knows how to do gay, then do it, you know? Um, but yeah. Um, Keegan Michael Key, like the, the actors in the stage musical are all contemporaries of each other. It does not make mm-hmm. sense that mm-hmm. Meryl Streep would be 30 or 40 years. their senior, you know, they, they should be contemporaries. Right. It said on Wikipedia that um, Reynolds' character was supposed to be Aquafina, which doesn't address that issue. It might make it weirder, but uh, that would have been an interesting. She was supposed to play the other guy, the um, the who ended up being played by Kevin Chamberlain, the kind of like PR publicist person. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought she was supposed to play. Uh... Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I don't think so. And I didn't. And I. This is like back to the source material. Um, two things back to the source material. I didn't like the love thy neighbor sequence because I felt like that was too easy uh, a moment to try to bring the kids in town around over just pointing out obvious contradictions in scriptures. You know, if you could bring people around by pointing that out to them, we'd be in a different place. You know, the thing is that whether or not people want to admit it, their tradition wins, their tribe wins, you know, and that you can't point out little contradictions and be like oh hey you're right i guess i'll change all my postures that's ridiculous and um and and then the other thing that i had was a problem was with carrie washington's character two Mm -hmm. two reasons for it one i think that she should have known that her daughter was the girlfriend who was going to be going to prom and that would be her motivation for trying to stop the prom that way she would have known her daughter was a lesbian for a while so that by the end, maybe she'd come around, you know, this idea that she had no idea. And then in a matter of hours, she shows up at the prom to support. That's not what happens in, yeah. in, in real life. That That's not what's going to happen. And in a show, in, in, a, in a setting here, especially with Ryan Murphy, where we're trying to show diversity in the cast, um, why would the one black woman in the Indiana town be the most repressed? Yeah. And no, that's yeah. especially in a in a story that centers on a social justice issue. Why would you cast a black woman in that role? Right. And and yeah, so I agree with you. And and when she does, you know, come around in the big final number, it just feels really unearned and insincere and and Right. And not only that, not only I mean she had that dress the whole time and then which was fabulous. And she comes into the prom and she's just like, there's only one thing more important than all of this. You, no parent thinks that who doesn't accept their child's orientation. Yeah. Their child is not more important than that to them. That That's hardwired, you know? And not only that they'd be there, even as a curiosity, but by the end that they're like putting their hand over their mouth and jumping up and down and cheering, being emotionally moved that their daughter is kissing another young woman what mm-hmm. what journey right. have they gone on yeah. it makes more sense if she would have known about this for a while right. and would have been trying to stop it and then comes around in the end 
Speaking of real life, too, this is inspired by an actual story. I I remember the reporting on that original story, but it really bears no other than just being kind of the seed of an idea, right? I mean, this doesn't purport to be the story of this girl. And it really isn't the story of the girl. Like, I think smartly the creators centered on the Broadway actors and then also gave heart to the girl as as a secondary character. Yeah, because I think that you start to see this prom through the lens of these washed up actors and all of their disappointments in life mm-hmm. and how they're kind of projecting that onto this young woman's experience. And that's what gives it its power. Yeah. And I and I think it was very clever. Like, it's hard to do an original musical where you're making up the story and you're not just basing it on something that already worked once. Like and I think it does yeah. work the story you know, this would be an entertaining night at the theater. Right. Weird that um, Nicole Kidman is in this cast and she gets kind of almost sidelined. Right. Uh, I felt like she wasn't around and then suddenly she was. I felt like she was suddenly best friends with uh, the young girl, uh, Emma, and eating ice cream with her. And, you know, I, I feel like it was probably hard to juggle all the elements in this story, but for being Nicole Kidman, I felt like she didn't have all that much to do. She didn't. I loved her though. I thought yeah, that, she's good. Yeah. She, she, to me was maybe the best <laughs> cast of the four adult leads to me. I, I, I like that. She was kind of zany and playing a cowbell in the background and, <laughs> you know, doing this ridiculous Fosse turn. Is it supposed to be funny that her name is Angie Dickinson? Cause I it is. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a little too on the nose for it to have been an accidental naming. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So, yeah. All right. Um, the Prom. Dan's favorite movie. Best picture of the year. <laughs> what a year. All right. Well, that takes us to the movie of the moment, I suppose. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. It's a 2020 historical drama film uh, written uh, based on a play by August Wilson, adapted by Ruben Santiago Hudson and directed by George C. Wolfe, produced by Denzel Washington, who has uh, declared his intention to bring all 10 of, uh, well, August Wilson wrote more than 10 plays, but I guess this is a cycle of 10 plays about black American life. And uh, Fences was done. I think there's one other one that was done or is it about to be done? I think the piano lesson is coming Mm, relatively soon. So this is uh, August Wilson's play turned into a movie. It is the story of, uh, well, tensions that rise when the trailblazing mother of the blues and her band gather at a Chicago recording studio in 1927. Viola Davis is uh, electric as Ma Rainey. Uh, barely recognizable, but uh, except by the quality of her performance. And she is a brash blues singer who is allowing herself to be exploited by uh, white producers at a record company to make records to sell to the uh, increasing population of of uh, black citizens up in the north. Well, this takes place in Chicago. Um, and there's a migration, a mass migration at this point in, in American history of blacks from the South to the North. 
And of course, this being a capitalist utopia, the corporations like Paramount Recording Studios are finding ways to, uh, you know, cater to that new audience. And uh, meanwhile, there's a subplot of her band and particularly of a character named Levy, played by Chadwick Boseman in his final performance, uh, who is an ambitious young performer and songwriter who sees this as his opportunity to establish himself as a performer and tensions clash and rise as indicated in the blurb that I read. And this is definitely a play. I felt Dan, like uh, this is just people delivering profound uh, monologues and telling each other, you know, their profound memories and turning on each other in ways that I thought were a little histrionic. It is a very beautiful looking film. The performances are excellent Overall, I think it's good. I love that it's short. I love that it's to the point. Uh, I enjoyed it. I just it didn't have much of a reality for me because I felt like it was so stagey. Uh, I think these performances are great. There's a lot of buzz for both Bozeman and Davis. Uh, I would not be uh, I would not object in any way if Chadwick Bozeman was going to get a posthumous award for his work here. Uh, I like I think I like what he did with it better than I like the writing of the character, though. How do you feel about uh, Rainey's Black Bottom? Yeah, so two incidental things before we go into this. First incidental thing, I've never seen Chicago in the daytime in a movie lit so oh. brightly, uh, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's my first thought. Mm-hmm. Second thought was that the first year that I was into the Tonys was 1996. And that was the one, like we had just gotten internet, so I knew they were happening and I recorded it. And then I watched the VHS every day, you know, forever. And that happens to be the year that George C. Wolf won for directing Bring It to Noise, Bring It to Funk. Oh, and yeah. Ruben Santiago Hudson won for being in Seven Guitars. And Viola Davis was also nominated for Seven Guitars, though she did not win. Audrey McDonald won her second Tony that year for Masterclass. And I just thought that was kind of so interesting that yeah. those three players were like all there on that same night mm-hmm. for a completely was, different unrelated. So Seven Guitars was new or was it a revival at that point? Uh, that I don't know. Probably a revival, huh? Hmm. Let me see what year Wilson's that was. Wilson's passed, but I don't know if Oh, no, was I'm wrong. Old. I'm wrong. It was a 1995 play. Hmm. It was new. Yeah, but just kind of, kind of random, right? The the yeah that's crazy it's like the stew of this movie right exactly and so yeah i agree with you it's very much a play i don't want to say that uh putting it on film like this weakened it but i think whatever lives in playland like the way it would be staged where it would be a little less realistic i think a little less realism would have served would have served this material as far as its time and space you know but that being said like you say it was shot beautifully it was brief in the best way um viola davis just is a revelation in everything she does you know she's just Mm. incomparable and i i I saw a tweet that was laying out everyone's screen time and i forget what it is now but she has something small like 20 percent of screen time Mm. and yet kind of like similar to like um Anthony Hopkins and Silence of the Lambs, you know, they just loom right. so large over it. Yeah. You can't believe they weren't in the whole thing. You close your eyes and think of it and they're what you see. Exactly. There's such just such impact. And so it's kind of like you, you don't want to downplay 
her excellence because everyone just so expects her to be excellent all the time. You know, that if this were someone who had never yet been excellent bringing this kind of a performance, people would be falling all over themselves to award it. And they still may. But I think that people have almost almost take her level of excellence for granted because she's just so good, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Chadwick Boseman, I think, will end up being the story here, you know, with all the goodwill that he has in the industry and with this being his final performance. I think even if he'd given something, you know, partway mediocre, you know, he could get himself a, a posthumous Oscar. I, I think with this electric performance you know he could have done it alive or or not um it's such a strong performance i I think it just works on every level and i think now in retrospect people knowing what he must have been going through as he was shooting it um Mm -hmm. kind of gives those passionate scenes so much extra meaning and to me he's the star of this movie yeah. Yeah, it's um I think again, I think if I have issues they're probably tied to the the source material and I think if I'd seen the source material performed in a, you know in a professional stage, I would probably have been blown away by it. Um as a film production of this material, it's excellent. It's it's great to look at. Uh it couldn't be better cast. And um, the result is, is it really is electric. You feel like it's something special and magical. And maybe that sense is heightened by the fact that we're, we're still reeling from the loss of Chadwick Boseman and feels like we're you know lucky to have that this was captured while it could be. But um, yeah, it's going to um, it makes a big impact. We'll yeah. And that it's a 1982 play. I think that the themes, as at least for white America, I've been aware of the stuff that this movie or play is is saying, what, in the last five years, maybe, you know, I, I saw Get Out and now I understand this, you know, that, that this stuff has been out there um, for so long, for, for, for some 40, 40 years. And I feel like mainstream white culture is catching on just finally to this concept of how used and exploited black people and their art and their culture are in in mainstream culture. And we want the stuff, but we don't want them, you know, and that and that strange and that strange tension. And I, I, I assume that's what the the black bottom image is right. Like a, a dance that came out of black life that became popularized in white circles and became like its own thing. And so she's in essence singing that song, right. Yeah. Um, doing the same thing again, where they're trying to, and and so she insists on being treated with respect. She insists on getting her pay. She insists on everything because she's not there to make friends because in the end they don't care about her at all. They just care about the money they can make from from her, and so she she insists on getting the best for herself, um, since they're going to be taking way more anyway. Yeah, I really love how the movie opens because it ends up being such a you know it's it feels for the most part like a like a very very 
well-filmed version of a play that takes place generally in one location and some outdoor areas around that location. But the starting it at the tent performance and with the kids running through the woods, like it, 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 it's very evocative and very using visual storytelling in a very short mm-hmm. amount of time yeah. to evoke a lot of things that you're going to need to have kind of un- under the surface of everything else that happens. But I liked it. Yeah, I liked it too. Wow, we did it, Dan. This is almost an hour yeah. of, of movie talk. <laughs> and then we just hit a wall. There's nothing else to say. All right, my my phone just started ringing, and that scares me when that happens. Oh yeah, that's that can't. I it's never that. good. Yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, that's our show, and that's 2020. That's a wrap on 2020, folks. Good. That's all the movies worth talking about. If we didn't mention them, they're not worth talking about. Well, I look forward to seeing the rest of the 2020 releases, like maybe by February. Yeah. Yeah. I still can't believe that Emma was this year. I know. It's been such a, so much has happened in the universe that, um, that feels like three years ago. Yeah. My last movie in the theater was The Hunt and that, that's, that's really held up. (laughs) That, that -hmm. choice is really held up. I, I watched The Hunt again. Um, not that long ago and i and i loved it even more really <laughs> yes i'm gonna keep that on my top 10 list for sure now that you're about to be living it for real i know i know i know we'll uh get the prom on there we'll see see what that'll bump off All right oh yeah i mean while we're still here do you have a list you want to read a list or you want to right, let's say let's say that for the first of the first okay. episode of the new year yeah yeah, I and I feel like like things like Nomad Land, like that's going to be one of the movies of the year. You mm-hmm. know, it's not won't even be seen until much later. Right. right. Okay. All right. Well, then that has been our podcast. We've been Dan and Josh. You can follow us both on Twitter and Letterboxd. The show is at Holds Up Pod on Twitter. Uh, that's irrelevant information, but maybe at some point it won't be. And uh, our music's by Jonah Rapino. Our show is by us. Thanks so much for listening, and we will be back uh, in 2021 to talk about more movies. Later. Bye. Um, how are you doing these days? How's holidays treating you? I'm doing okay. I am in the middle of trying to kind of hit final submit on the Christmas Eve service because mm-hmm. that's all in the can. Um, and Is that yet, nice, having stuff done ahead of time this year? It's very strange. Very strange. Mm-hmm. It's just very different. And now my hard drive doesn't have enough room oh, no. <laughs> for the final thing. Uh-oh. So I just need to throw out like 9,000 videos that are just sitting on here. Uh-huh. You know, and then I'll try it again. Yeah. Because I'm doing I'm doing it in 4K, 4K baby. Ooh. I know. Nice. It's only originally filmed, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> on a flip phone. But <laughs> right. you know, you know, we're getting as many pixels in there as we can. You can like throw out things that are in your iMovie project, and iMovie's got them right. They don't need that. Uh, I do not know. I think so that's, I don't want to give you false case. hope, but that sounds like a thing. Sounds like a thing. Oh, gosh, I did not mean to close that. Let's just hope it's saved.
are there aspects of COVID lockdown era church that will continue into normal time after everyone's vaccinated and, yeah. or is everybody going to want to just get back to the way I think were? that there will be more of an online option since we've just been doing it and we've gotten so used to it. Um, yeah. That we never did that before. You know, we would just kind of record the sermon audio and that was all we put on the website. Um, now I think it will always be a video, if not a live stream of the whole service, mm -hmm. I would think. Um, yeah, but I'm not sure what else would follow us. Mm -hmm. Shereen recorded a song for Nora Sean. They asked her to, oh. they're compensating her to do nice. so. And she's using some of the techniques she learned making videos with her students and stuff. Right. Right. And uh, it'll be the closest we've come to going to church in a very long time. <laughs> they still thought of her. Yeah. And they called Gloria Chloe, which is a step oh. up because they used to call her <laughs> Chrissy. <laughs> that delights me.